Today's episode of the Wicked Library is brought to you by Cathedral Sounds, home of composers Kimberly Henninger and Sean Park, composers for award-winning films, video games, and digital media. The next time you find yourself in need of a custom score or music for your own project, find them online at www.cathedralsounds.org. Also brought to you by Shadows at the Door. Shadows at the Door is an ever-growing collection of haunted stories inspired by the ghastly, the ghoulish, and the macabre. You can enjoy the pleasing terrors and similar content at shadowsatthedoor.com. Stay tuned after today's terrifying tale by Jessica McHugh for an extended preview of our new show, The Lift. The preview features an episode written by the Wicked Library's executive producer, Nelson W. Piles. Find the rest of this episode and more on your favorite interweb contraption by typing in victoriouslift.com. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network. Where stories live. Ladies and gentlemen, John Vincent here for Channel 9, 9 on 9 on the top. We have been receiving strange broadcasts from an unknown source all day today. It's been interfering with our radio broadcasts. I don't know who's trying to jam our signal, but someone obviously is. It doesn't understand. What? It keeps asking why we're doing this to it. Today, strange things have been happening. We're at the top of the hour, nine on nine. Rest assured, we're doing our best to clean up the issues with the broadcast as quickly as possible. Extraction by Jessica McHugh.
Extraction I can't stop jerking off at work. Even when I don't see Dana Cully. Even when she wears her frumpy out-of-season sweaters that make her breasts look like lumpy potatoes beneath a faded Rudolph face. Even when her glasses are smeared with nose grease and her head appears topped with phallic knots of half-digested hair. Even then, my hand flies to my zipper, tears the dog out of its house and beats it for howling at such an unappealing piece of flesh. It's not all her fault. I also blame the Selco, the Dekuiper, and the Listerine. Oh, and myself, too. I'm not so deluded as to negate my blame in this. It's my dog that howls, my hand that beats, my stomach that gurgles and erupts in the seconds before I ejaculate, staining another potty poster with cream de menthe and cream de marvin. As I wipe away the excess, I read the poster and make a mental note. Turn off your monitor before leaving for the night. Do your part to save power, save money, and save the world. Also, there's some cum on your shoe. A few months ago, I was only slightly queasy before I came. Now, chunks of revulsion and blades of blinding pain precede my spurts. A fiery accordion in my gut squeezes and spreads my organs like they're fine to push every which way. Who cares if my intestines get tangled in my ribcage? Why not interchange lung and liver? Uh, On second thought, I don't think I want my liver in charge of important shit. Not even literal shit. Its job is to process alcohol and it already has enough on its plate. When I emerge from the men's room, wiping away a string of bile clinging to my chin, Dana is there, wrinkling her bulbous nose. I try to rush past her, but her perfume nets me, slowly reeling me back to her. Are you making the buffer this afternoon? She asks. Her voice sounds coated in clotted milk. It makes me clear my own throat several times in hopes she'll copy me, but she never does. That's what Regina said, I reply. I should probably get that staged. She smiles, giving me a glimpse of brown lightning, her prized molar. The tooth is not dead, rather, it's afflicted with a brown vein that cuts it in two. I can't stand to look at it, but no other part of her is any better. If you need help... Yeah, yeah, I say, pulling myself out of her aromatic haze. My stomach aches so badly, buds of tears burn my eyes, but I don't let them fall. I've never been much of a crier, never saw the point. Besides, what can crying do that a box of wine can't? I didn't always have that attitude. At least I don't think so. It's so hard to remember anything before a month ago, before my life became strangled by liquor and inexplicable lust. I think I used to be a good man. I think I used to have a purpose. Trying to remember hurts my brain, though not as badly as the pain currently boiling my stomach. The distended lump there cries out for attention, but the only attention I care to give my belly lives in the bottle hidden under my desk in the office. Desk is actually a misnomer. Office, too. The truth is I sit in a lab separated from all the other employees. I don't mind since it gives me plenty of freedom to drink, but I'm not exactly in Siberia. Dana can find me quite easily. My boss, Regina Bauer, always calls to check in and issue my assignments for the day. My assignments are usually the easiest production a manufacturing technician can get. I assume because Regina can tell how hard it is for me to function these days. She's never brought up my drinking, 
but I can't believe she's oblivious. She's a smart lady, and except for her wrinkles and unfortunate chicken pox scars, quite beautiful. So how come my dick doesn't give the zipper a hard hello when Regina's around? Why Dana? Why does disgust turn into lust at the mere whiff of her perfume? So, maybe I don't take my work seriously. So maybe I'm a full-fledged alcoholic. So maybe this blinding pain in my gut is just the first symptom of a body that's grave-ready. But in exchange for health and harmony, I'm, I was allowed to recognize the greatest gift God bestows. That even when liquor is out of reach, this world is constructed from elements that fuck you up. Growing, cooking, crushing, smoking. I want to put earth up my nose. That hunger began after my first week of work at Biotech, with one drink, brought by none other than Dana Colley. Until she hippoed up with a glass of liquor, I was content to spend a few hours by myself. It always comforted me before, watching people. I guess I was one of those weirdos. Now I'm a different kind of weirdo. The kind who keeps his ears perked during nightly strolls, listening for kids with severe coughing fits so he'll know which house has good medicine. Nothing makes my heart skip a beat quite like seeing a bottle of Delson perched on a child's bedside table. Breaking into houses isn't always easy, but I'm fairly quiet for a drunk. I slip in like a snake, coil myself around the bottle, and ooze away like some otherworldly creature. In a life with so little revere, I pride myself on any accomplishment. I initially refused Dana's drink without a hint of temptation, but then she sat down, flashed me brown lightning, and pushed a glass into my hands. Her perfume smelled like childhood. What from childhood? Your guess is as good as mine. All I know is that I wanted her to sit closer. I wanted her on my lap. I wanted her to wriggle and bounce and give me a revolting reason to call out of work the next day. She repulsed me, but I craved her immeasurably, and the alcohol made it worse. Then worse became the alcohol. After one sip of bourbon, I had to have a full glass, then a beer, then some wine, then a dusty pill I found under the urinal. I asked Dana how quickly other people got hooked on the stuff, but she just brayed and squeezed my thigh. With a cough, I came in my pants. Whether she noticed, I don't know, but she did leave soon after. My pants were so wet I was afraid to stand, so I kept ordering more drinks. Two hundred dollars later, the bartender had to peel me out of the booth and call me a cab to drive me home. But I couldn't go home yet. There was no liquor there. After that night, that was never the case again. At this point, I've only been at Biotech for a month, but things have changed drastically for me in that short time. I started out with a desk surrounded by co-workers. I resuspended DNA primers, even worked with magnetic Dynabeats for an E. coli testing kit. I didn't have much experience, but I was a fast learner, and Regina liked that kind of gumption. But I was gradually moved away from manufacturing certain products. After my encounter with Dana, my duties focused solely on manufacturing extraction buffer, and my workspace was moved to the farthest lab. Regina calls the lab phone just as I swallow some Zelko. Hey, Reg, good morning, I say, gulping down a bit of bile that jumps with a belch. You're going to make extraction buffer today, she says. Surprise, surprise. 
ten liters? I ask. You got it. Say, how's the temperature in that lab today? Not still too hot, is it? Nah, it's actually pretty chilly. I look at the thermostat. 62 degrees. Oh my, that's a little cold, isn't it? I'll have facilities fix that right away. Why bother? They can never find a happy medium. One day it's freezing, the next it's a sauna. What, you don't trust me, Harvey? She asks. Of course I do. Good. Do you want Dana to help you manufacture the buffer? No! I adjust my volume with a vodka-laced grunt. Uh, no. Thank you, I'll, I'll be fine. Good. I'll check in later, she says, cutting off the call before I can respond. In those few minutes, the temperature has dipped to 59 degrees. So I choose to start production on the buffer just to get out of the cold. Before I begin, I make sure to take a sip from the flask I have stashed under the bench. The more I drink, the easier the day slides by. Before I know it, it's time to head home. I just hope I can make it there in one piece. But then I ask myself, why? One piece, two, eight, does it really matter? The vodka tells me it does. I am very, very important, it says. I tell you, vodka, there are times I've believed you. I just don't remember when they were. The next morning, I step into an inferno. The temperature of the lab has sailed to nearly 90 degrees, making my vodka taste like rotten milk. Still, it was rotten milk that could get me drunk enough to ignore the heat. My head thumps terribly. I sit down, awaiting Regina's phone call when the lab door flies open. The blast of AC from the hallway feels good, but the scent it carries makes my stomach twist into a fistfuck of a knot. Jeez, it's hot in here, Dana squeals. I notice her getting moist. Her armpits, her neck, her fourth chin. Misshapen hues appear below her sweaty breasts. And though I don't want to look, I can't tear my eyes away. My dick burns against my zipper, crying out for relief. A hand will do, but it wants something warmer, something wetter. Dana fans herself with her hoof and coughs up a chuckle. <laughs> Wasn't it cold in here yesterday? Sure was, I hiss, digging my elbow into my balls, hoping the pain will soften me. You okay, Harv? God, the smell of her. What is it? Cookies or roses or Versace fuck jeans? It's amazing. And no, I'm not okay, you mustached hag. I need to beat off. Now. The phone rings, and I know right away it's Regina. Yes, I'm here. I sputter into the phone. Oh, good. How's the lab today? Hot, I reply. Dana giggles, making the tigger applique on her shirt dive down her chest until he's swimming in the pool between sweat-splashed mountains. My body screams. Hand, toilet, flask, hand, toilet, flask. I need to get away. That's too bad. I'll have facilities fix it tomorrow. My stomach churns, causing a beast of salty bile to claw its way up my throat. Dana's perfume is overpowering, and Regina's insane promises make my blood boil. Don't worry, Harv. We'll take care of it, she says. Oh, and I know you worry about being alone back there, so I have a surprise for you. I don't worry about that, 
I grunt through rising pain. Dana touches my shoulder. Her scent thickens as if she were spraying me like a cat in heat. I turn to see drops of sweat clinging to her mustache so thick and imposing I swear I can smell it. Through her pleasing perfume, one of skunk cabbage and black licorice punches free, causing my aching stomach to lurch. But it's not quite as bad as the ache in my crotch, especially when she licks the droplets away and I imagine her licking my ache with it. The thought makes my testicles feel like iron death. Sorry, gotta go, I exclaim, throwing the phone with no care to the cradle flying from my seat. I reach the bathroom with my hand already on my dick and vomit searing my tongue. I spit up a stream of brown liquid that appears to steam when it hits the toilet, but I'm too focused on beating away my screaming erection to care. Dana Cully fills my mind. Her rat nest hair. Her rotting chomper. The way one of her socks is always lower than the other, revealing a patch of bristly hair that she's missed for the last twenty shaves. I growl as I come, spattering the toilet seat with something that looks too similar to my vomit to be normal. My stomach feels like a balloon at full capacity, as well as already lacerated latex. I've gone soft, but the pain continues. My dick is coated in brown goo that I try to wipe away with toilet paper, but the cheap stuff sticks to the tip. As I try to peel it off, my eyes well with burning tears. I run my hands under the cold water and wash away the gummy patches of toilet paper. I cup my hands again, ready to splash water on my face, but my reflection makes me freeze. The water drains between my fingers as I lean in and watch a brown tear roll out of my eye. As it falls, it sears a ravine into my cheek, causing the surrounding flesh to peel back and curl into itself. Another tear falls, but I catch it with my fingertips. The droplet burns through both flesh and nail, giving me a glimpse of brown bone before I run my hand under the faucet. Under the pressure of the stream, the steaming hole in my finger widens before slowly fusing closed. After splashing water on my face, I try to wipe the tears away, but my fingernail catches on a tag of burnt flesh, causing a new rip from cheek to nose. I slap a paper towel over the wound, desperately trying not to cry despite my panic. After a few steadying breaths, I gently pull back the paper towel. The wound directly below my eye is healed, and as I remove more of the towel, I realize the other wounds have too. Unfortunately, it gives me a bit of resistance at the end. In healing, my face has stitched some paper towel into the wound. It takes a tug, but it finally breaks free, leaving a small piece of towel protruding from my cheek. My stomach still hurts and is noticeably distended, but I'm able to leave the bathroom. My only hope is that Dana has vacated the lab, leaving me to cool off with my sweaty vodka. When I enter, Dana isn't there, but five other people are, staring at me like I have a piece of paper sticking out of my cheek. So I suppose their expressions are warranted. Their sleeves are hiked and safety glasses fogged by the 97-degree lab temperature. I immediately parch, but a man with a unibrow stands in the way of my liquor cabinet. There's something on your face, fella, he says. I grunt and ask him to move. 
No can do. We need all the bench space we can get. We're assembling 6,000 primer kits. Nice surprise, Regina. The man's slick arm rubs against me, scraping me with its wiry fur. He apologizes, and I'm about to tell him it's fine when a familiar scent strikes my nostrils. It's Dana. But Dana isn't there. The smell is coming from the bristly man with sweat dripping between the whiteheads along his nose. My stomach tightens as the blood rushes south, making me stiffen with each scented surge. My balls swell and stretch, filling my jeans with aching flesh. I can't tell if the warm fluid rolling down my thigh is blood or semen, but either way, it's not good. The amount of people in the room doubles, then triples. None of them seems to be doing any real work, just milling around and getting between me and my liquor. I just need to get to the cabinet, just for a second, I say to the group of dripping women now clustered in front of the door. But when they turn, I am pummeled by their scent. More technicians spin to stare at me, blowing sweaty gales of the aroma in my direction. The lab is hazy with the stuff. I'm convinced my dick is split open and is pouring blood down my legs. But when I pull aside my lab coat, I see that the river of blood starts at my belly. At the enormous growth on my belly, more precisely. Oh my god, are you okay? A woman asks. For once, I stiffen from her beauty, not the strange perfume. I would fuck her in a second, but something tells me she wouldn't want the man with the football-sized tumor to stick his dick inside her. The knot looks more like brain than skin. And with each increase of nausea, another vein pops, oozing brown soup down my pants. People scream at the throbbing mass. I'm afraid too, but the fear is so much worse than when I take in all of the faces. Blanched in terror, green in revulsion, their throats burbling with the upward travel of vomit. Against every desire, I start to cry and can't stop. The brown tears burrow through my face, dropping entire panels of skin to the lab floor. I try to dam the flow with my fingers, but the burning liquid causes me to shake my hands in pain, spattering bare arms and faces with molten tears and slivers of soggy skin. I catch my sloppy reflection in the cabinet and promptly coat the mirror in hot heaves of thick chocolate vomit. My brain tries to cling to consciousness, to the last few drops of blood that haven't defected to the tumor overcoming my innards, but its grip is weak and down I go. I could swear my face smashes like a melon when I hit the floor, but I can still smell perfume in the seconds before I black out, so I think my nose is fine. My nose is not fine. I know it as soon as I wake up. I can't quite see my reflection in the glass of the transfer window, but I see enough to know that my face as I knew it is probably still on the floor in front of my liquor cabinet. What's left wouldn't even make for a passable companion in a peanut butter sandwich. My vision is fuzzy, but from the chair I'm tied into, I can tell I'm in a lab. I don't recognize it, but there are lots of labs at biotech I've never seen. As my vision clears, I spot Regina in the entryway, zipping up her sterile suit. I'm surrounded by tanks of extraction buffer, each one labeled with my handwriting. What the hell is going on? Harvey? 
Regina says as she enters the lab. My throat is full of clotted phlegm. I try to cough it up, but it hurts my stomach too badly to clear it. I look down at my belly's new bloody friend and groan. It takes up most of my torso now, but some of the connective tissue has been detached, so it hangs low on my waist. Before I know what's happening, she's holding a few vials in front of my face and I am pummeled by the familiar smell. The tumor swells and my erection spews ropey mud. What is that smell? I scream. A highly concentrated dose of secretion from, as far as we can tell, the prostate gland of a female Chthonian, she replies. A what? Regina grabs a pipette aid and sticks a 50 milliliter tip into the nozzle. She pushes the trigger and the pipette hums. She sucks up a heavy dose of extraction buffer and advances on me. The tip presses against my face, scraping through the slop as it draws closer to my cornea. She dispenses the buffer into my eye, sending burning liquid through my skull. The buffer eats through the meat in the socket, making it easier for Regina to slip in and start digging under my eyeball. The humming and sucking drown out my screams, which continue after the tip pops the eyeball out into my lap. My jeans sizzle beneath the lump of tissue until she knocks it to the floor, squishes it under her protective boot, and goes to work on the other eye. Once my eyeballs are gone and the socket's stripped by the buffer, the oozing stops. But I can still see Regina. She nods to the other suited technicians in the room and is handed a clean scalpel. I'm sorry about this, Harv. You were just too obvious, she says. About what? You can still see, can't you? Yes. How? Because your vision isn't like ours, not even when you're impersonating one of us, she replies. This was your first mission, wasn't it? From what I've seen, your people should spend more time training their spies. This whole, if I don't remember I'm an alien, I'll fit in better with the humans thing just isn't working out well for them. What the hell are you talking about? Regina pokes my tumor. It has gotten so massive I feel like the tail end is tickling my uvula. Come in, she says to an intercom, and a few seconds later Dana appears at the door. She dons a protective suit like the others, but hers is transparent, giving me a clear view of her clumsy nudity. My stomach swells in disgust, but when Regina pours a vile's pungent content over Dana's suit, pain cracks through my crotch. The tumor grows by the second, spurting its fluid across the lab floor. You're the first we've tried this on, Harvey. Aggravation always works, but the mix of desire and revulsion is even more successful. I knew what you were the moment you set foot in a biotech. That's why I had Dana follow you after work. To tempt you and repulse you. To weaken you with alcohol, Regina says. Now we just have to remove the bladder and we can send you on your way. You have no idea how many humans this disgusting growth will help. We've been experimenting with what we call the duplex bladder for years, but yours... My God, Harvey... I could cure cancer. I feel like I'm going to pass out, like my mind is a knot forged from freight threads. 
But one shining thought breaks through the tangle of puking and fucking and sounds my desire as clear as a bell. Alcohol. God, what I wouldn't give for a drink right now. Just one bottle. One frosted monolith filled with heaven that pours like hellish oil. A drink. I whisper as Regina and the text start to pull the mass out of my belly. One last drink. Don't be so dramatic, Harv. There's plenty of time for that when we're through. Although I doubt you'll want a drink once you're back in your real form. I'm tired of questioning every cryptic thing she says. So I scream instead. A technician's scalpel jumps to my throat, pressing my courage as Regina's eyes latch onto my cavernous sockets. We have no problem killing you, she says. The rest of your organs are pretty useless, but I'm sure we could find someone who wants them. We could market them as dog chow. Shark chum. Oh, I know. I bet the fellows at Area 51 wouldn't mind a few pounds of your flesh. I shut up, and the scalpels resume their talent, slicing and freeing the tumor from my stomach. It takes one of the techs to hold the brunt of the mass, and the other to slowly extract the spongy tail that has snaked through my organs and up my throat. This feeling of being emptied is like none I've ever known. I start to have the same thought about the buzzing pain in my limbs, but when pain turns to pleasure, I realize I've felt it before. When the tumor is gone, my physical form starts to change. Every sensation is suddenly different, yet familiar. My morphing body slides out of its restraints, out of the chair and onto the floor where my legs can fully unfurl. The tile is cold against each of my 48 feet, filling me with chills of memory. Everything comes back. Landing on Earth. My mission to infiltrate biotech. The warnings to avoid intoxicants. Another warning, too. Your mind will be hard to hold on to, the captain said. Once you're in human form, you'll forget who you really are but you will remember when needed. Regina's right. Our training is subpar. No wonder our turnover is so high. The humans are smarter than us. But Regina was wrong about one thing. I'm back in my real form, and I still want a drink. I scuttle across the floor, winding around the technician's shaking legs. With a few lunges and squeezes, I could crush the life out of them, but killing them wouldn't put the venlist duplex bladder to them back in my body. I could care less about that anyway right now. I smell liquor. My liquor. My flask in Regina's pocket. Planting myself on my back 24 legs, I lift up my thin body to beg like a dog. Oh, you've got it bad, she laughs. She steps into the vestibule and zips her suit and removes my flask from her pocket. She passes it to a tech who pours it into a whey bowl and sets it in front of me. I step into the pool of vodka and absorb all I can through my toes. That way it hits every inch of my cylindrical body. The liquor is nearly gone when Regina re-enters the room. My body flushes with intoxication as she bends to my level, too proud of her success to bother with her hood. Something about the way she smiles angers me. She's one and she knows it. 
that smug, pockmarked bitch. I can't stand what she did to me. The revulsion, the desire, the addiction. I'm a Cathonian shard, damn it, and I've had X-Darks that makes human pussy look like potted meat. I swell again, this time on my own terms. The fear in Regina in the text is sudden and beautiful, and once again, I remember my strength. A breast presses against the lab door, spreading across the glass like putty against a newspaper. Dana is still naked, beating against the pain as I transform into the monster that will destroy them all. But when I catch a glimpse of her gnarled forest of an armpit, I lurch in disgust. A tech pierces my primary gills with a 50-milliliter pipette tip, causing blood to spray from the slits. The humans scream when it hits their suits, but the loudest is Regina, who gets a face full of the stuff. I'm about to tell her to shut up. My blood isn't poisonous, but the sight of her fingers sliding beneath her skin gives me pause. The blood coagulates on her face, and when she tries to rub it away, the face goes with it sloughing to the floor with wet slaps. I expect her to be no more than a mess of gooey muscle, and apparently so does she, because when she uncovers her face and beholds her reflection, she gasps in joy. Her wrinkles are gone. Her scars just bad memories. Her face is as smooth as a baby's. But how? To my knowledge, Cathonian blood has never had that effect on human skin. I step on the wayboat and the last drop of Zelko is absorbed. Regina stares at me ravenously as if my blood is her Cathonian perfume. But unlike the perfume's effect on me, my blood doesn't make her want to tear off her clothes. It makes her want to tear me to shreds. Thick, profitable shreds. It's the alcohol, she whispers. It changed you. I tell you, Harv, we've done hundreds of tests on the usefulness of your blood and never found a thing, but this... She looks again at her perfect face. It's a miracle! I notice the text grabbing glassware with no intention of scientific use. I start to puff up again, raising my defenses, but a burning pinch beside my gills deflates me. I hear Regina say, Sorry, Harv, as my legs start to shake and crumple beneath my weight. A graduated cylinder crashes down on me. I find it unnecessary due to the tranquilizer Regina deployed into my blood sacs. My body is giving out, but I have energy enough to growl at her, bearing my pincers. She jumps back, bumping the lab bench and knocking a vial of the perfume to the floor. The smell is overwhelming, even more than the tranquilizer. If I were still human, my sudden erection probably would have knocked a few other things off the bench, too. But as Regina and the technicians approach with their weapons, I grin for the gift of being a Cathonian again. My lust hits its peak, and with a screech I come harder than ever before. The reproductive darts fire from my linear ducts, discharging my webbing all over the lab while the darts themselves penetrate whatever stands nearest. The scalpel falls first, followed by the graduated cylinders, brandished by the techs. By the time my assailants hit the floor, it's covered in shards of glass and wasted genetic material. Not that they care. Even if the hits hadn't been fatal, the darts are poisonous enough to a human in minutes. A gasp calls my attention to the door where Dana still stands, gawking at me through the glass. 
Brown lightning is in clear view, but not for long. Too petrified to move, she weeps as I rip the door off its hinges. When the sense to run finally strikes her, the airflow system won't allow her to open the door to the hall. It will be tough to escape the building and find my way back to the ship, especially doused in the putrid stink of Dana's blood, but I'll make it. Even though I hate to fly, I'll make it. Even though all it would take is a swig of vodka to calm me, even though the bottle is only a quick scuttle down the hall through the few people still clustered in the lab, even though I'd strangle them all for just a sniff of the bottle cap and have to deal with the heavy cleanup, I'll make it. Yes. Just one drink, and I'll make it. That was Jessica McHugh's Extraction from the anthology Fear the Abyss. And now an extended preview of our newest podcast, The Lift, featuring The Basement, an episode written by Nelson W. Piles. This is Nelson W. Piles, and I'm the author for today's episode of The Lift, The Basement. If you enjoy the story, you can find out more about my work and other things at nelsonwpiles.com. Discover more episodes of The Lift at victoriaslift.com. Do you hear me? I am Victoria. I am Victoria. Once upon a time, substance combine, where the reality of story shapes thoughts, where fantasy becomes tangible. This is that place. Those who find themselves here are here to make a choice. The choices you made in the past don't matter, but the choice you make now is the one. The elevator door opened, and much to the surprise of Jefferson, he was in the exact same place he'd been before. It had seemed like an eternity that he'd been on this thing, and he couldn't for the life of him remember how he'd gotten there in the first place. He looked out into the dimly lit space before him, and like the other hundred or so times before, had no desire at all to leave the elevator. At all. He looked at the list of floors and punched the number eight. The doors closed slowly and the thing began to move. Or so it felt. He watched the numbers ascend one at a time until it read eight. Then the elevator paused and stopped. There was a ding and the doors began to open. His eyes were fixed on the light display over the doors and at the very last second, the number jumped back down to the letter B. Hellfire, 
He muttered as he looked once again into the vast emptiness before him. He slumped. He was tired and pissed. Maybe, the little voice inside his head began, you should man up and take a look. He nodded and sighed. What the hell, right? It didn't look like anything dangerous. Hell, it was the basement of a nine-floor building. What's the worst it could be, right? He took out his cell phone and looked at it, almost sadly. No reception. But it did have a light function on it, so that would be helpful. He engaged it and held it out in front, slowly walking into the dark basement. The light wasn't very strong, but it would keep him from falling on his ass. The elevator doors behind him shut, and he whirled around to see that it had already been called to another floor. Damn, he said to no one. He debated hitting the up button, but he figured he'd save that for later. At least it was something different than the stupid view of the elevator. He turned and began to walk. There was nothing at all of note in this basement that he could tell. No storage boxes or tools or even garbage. A basement was for things that you didn't need. A basement is where you put things you don't want to look at anymore, or things that aren't of use to anyone. A place for things unwanted. The attic was for the good holiday decorations and hand-me-down clothes for the kids and such. But the basement? That was a place for things best forgotten. But this place had absolutely nothing. There wasn't a single thing here. Hello? He called out, his West Virginia accent echoing in the dark place. Anybody here? He heard nothing but his own footsteps and his breathing. Hello? He called again. He shone the light next to him, and still nothing at all. He walked a little further, and he came upon a door with a sign that surprised him. It was his first name. He blinked a few times, but there it was, gold lettering on a black background. Jefferson. All nine letters, neatly printed and looking brand new, as if someone had been waiting for him to find it. He walked closer to it and examined it intently. He took a finger and ran it along the name. Then he knocked. The voice of a little girl came from behind, nearly making him yelp in surprise. You don't have to knock, silly, she said. Jefferson whirled and saw a girl of about nine with long curly hair and pigtails, wearing a purple dress. She looked at him with her head cocked to one side while holding a small music box. She held no expression on her face that he could identify. Uh, Jesus, you scared me there, Jefferson said with a nervous laugh. She simply kept looking at him, her head cocked to one side. Um, so you live down here? He asked. She said nothing. Is there nobody here? That's why I shouldn't knock. Again, she looked at him, not even blinking. What's the matter, darling? A cat got your tongue? He laughed a little. (laughs) I haven't got a cat, 
she said. Well, uh, that there's just a figure of speech. My name is Victoria, she said flatly. Well, hi, he said. I'm Jefferson. I know. He looked puzzled. You do? She nodded. How else could I get your name on the door? A cold chill crawled through him, the likes of which he'd never felt. My name? That's for me? Well, it certainly isn't for me, Victoria said. Who else would it be for? I don't understand this, he said. Where the hell am I? You're with me, in the basement, she said. This is a bit new for me as well, but I'm sure we'll make the best of it. The best of it? The best of what? Your particular situation. This is going to be something I've never done, although I'm quite sure I can do it. Uh, Do what? She turned away for a moment, then turned back to him. Why don't you open the door? She said. No, he said, although he had a nagging suspicion that he would. Let me tell you what happens, she began. Normally, I would play my music box and would find a floor for you. You'd tell me a story, and I do so love stories. So I just need to tell you a story, and we can get out of here? I'm not finished. I said normally, although none of this is really normal, is it? Jefferson said nothing. But you're a special case, aren't you? You have oodles of stories all burning inside of you, haven't you? Reckon I do. Well, this will be quite different, she said, and placed her music box on the ground in front of her. Jefferson watched this and then looked at the door behind him. His own name looked back at him, almost accusatorily. So, he began turning back to face the little girl, I just need to tell you a good story. No, she replied. You don't have good stories. You are empty of good stories. That's why it took so long to get you here. That's why you haven't heard the music box. There isn't music for someone like you. Uh, Like me, he asked, nearly choking. You don't know me. But I do. And I certainly wish you'd never come to my lift. So I'd like you to open the door, please. Jefferson looked into Victoria's eyes and found no life in them. He shook. Why? (sighs) Victoria gave a frustrated grunt and shifted her weight onto her left foot impatiently. Today, because it is a different day, I'm going to tell you a story. And after I tell it, you're not going to walk into that room. She paused. You're going to run into it. Jefferson felt his feet buckle slightly, and that seemed to bring him some semblance of his old self for a moment. Who the hell do you think you're talking to, little girl? He nearly yelled. Do you have any idea who you're talking to? From behind him, he heard something move, a pained scraping sound that seemed to get closer at an increasing pace. Before he could turn to see what it was, He felt something slam into the back of his legs, sending him backwards. He threw his arms out and yelped as he abruptly landed into a heavy wooden chair. I know exactly who and what I'm talking to, thank you, she said coldly. And now you're going to listen to my story, 
and not say another word. Jefferson's heart was pounding in his chest, and he decided that, for now, he'd listen. And then, he'd take care of this little girl. His way. She began her story. Don't be afraid. Go listen to the rest. Right now at victoriaslift.com forward slash S1E1. Go listen to the rest or else. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time.